Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. If you'll please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. If you'd like to read along, it's Mark 13, 1 through 8. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the signs that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began and said to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come. In my name, and I will be, and say, I am He. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nations will rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. For the word of God, for the people of God. The question is asked, tell us, when will these things be and what is the sign when all these things are going to be accomplished? And it's with frustration and fear that Christians over the centuries have repeated the disciples' questions. We want to know what the future holds and how we can recognize the signs of what to come. And we have a dim, anxious notion that the answers are hidden away somewhere in the Bible. If only we knew the right code to unlock the prophecies. And I'm going to tell you that I'm going to reveal that code to you this morning. Hold on. But there's a huge market for this. TV evangelists and authors of popular books claim to know the hidden truth about the future, and they're willing to reveal it to anyone willing to plop down 15 bucks or so for the latest novel or to send in a contribution. Publishers of books such as The Late Great Planet Earth and the wildly popular Left Behind novels have turned the art of apocalyptic speculation into marketing machines that have literally sold hundreds and millions of books. The trouble is, of course, that history keeps proving all the speculations wrong. But Mark's gospel offers us the real story on this matter. And here it is. I'm going to reveal it to you. And then you can check out for the rest of the sermon if you want to, free of charge. I've come here to reveal to you the truth of what Jesus really taught about the day of the Lord and the end of the age. In fact, if your Bible's still open, you might have found it in that very same chapter that we just read in verse 32, where Jesus says, about that day or hour, no one knows. 
neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And so with that said, we could wrap everything up and sit down and go home and sing our songs and get ready for turkey and feasts, but the end is not yet, because it's important to look closely at what Jesus does say to the disciples in the chapter of Mark's gospel. But if this isn't a teaching, then, about the end of the world, what is this passage about? And how does it answer the question? Tell us, when will these things be? What are the signs that they're going to be accomplished? In order to get clear about these matters, we need to see where the question itself fits into Mark's gospel. This little snippet in Mark 13 doesn't do justice to the whirlwind of mission that Jesus has had in the Sea of Galilee, a mission of healing, of driving out evil spirits, of feeding hungry multitudes, of challenging the wealthy to give away their possessions, and confounding the leading theologians of his day. And now, in our story, the disciples have witnessed at last Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, into this holy city, and the crowd chanting his acclamation, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom. And so here are the disciples getting ready to go to the temple with Jesus leading them, and they're setting the stage for Jesus by saying, teacher, look at these great stones. But Jesus is not coming to bring the restoration of Israel as they imagine it. Because they've already seen Jesus barge into the temple and overturn the tables and accuse the authorities of turning God's house into a den of robbers. Now, these fishermen are not scholars, but they know their Bible, and they know the prophet Jeremiah. And when Jesus comes in saying, this den of robbers, maybe this destruction of the temple that Jesus is talking about is really overthrowing the people who have made a mockery of God. And maybe Jesus really isn't going to tear down everything, but tear down the walls of injustice and oppression, where people worship idols and spill innocent blood and neglect the orphan and the widow and the alien. And maybe the disciples are asking deep down in themselves how they might stand with Jesus, the weeping Messiah like Jeremiah, who foresaw and witnessed the destruction of the temple. But Jesus is giving them cause for concern. And the disciples try to coax it out of him. How awesome is this place, teacher? Look, such stones, such buildings... Josephus, who was an historian, writes that the exterior of the temple wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye. Its retaining walls were 80 feet high. It was built of massive stones, some reportedly more than 40 feet in length. Even the base stones that still exist today are huge, larger than this chancel area for one block of stone. But Jesus is not interested in the stones. 
Surely at that time, there would have been a lot of selfie opportunities posting outside the temple before entering into worship, but Jesus was not interested in cameras. He wasn't interested in documenting every notion. No, Jesus is inviting us to see beyond what we see, to see what God sees. Do you see these great buildings? He snaps, surely not one stone will be left on here. And that's a conversation stopper. And the disciples ask, when will these things be? We want to know. We have to know. And everything becomes about the destruction of the temple. And it means that Jesus is not talking about the end of the world or the end of the space-time continuum. Jesus' prophecy is not about the end of the world, but about the end of a world. The world of a temple-centered faith, a structure-centered faith, an idol-centered faith, an image-centered faith, one that calls us in and inward alone. And Jesus is calling us out by getting our attention in the most drastic way that Jesus knows how to, by saying, none of this matters. Everything that you have built, everything that you have constructed, everything that you think is important will be gone. One of my favorite games to play at a church I used to serve, and it was a very humbling game, I might add, but it was a game that I would ask when I would go to teach small groups or Sunday schools. I would ask, who was the associate minister here 50 years ago? Being an associate minister myself, I would always hope that someone would have remembered uh, who was there, but no one could name who the associate minister was. And then I'd follow it up, who was the senior minister here 50 years ago? And there'd be some discussion or sudden discrepancy about age and time and who was who where, but it didn't seem to matter. Because what mattered for the people in those small groups when I would pose that question was not the memory of their leaders, was not the memory of their places, but the memory of the people who stood with them when they lost their children or when they lost their spouse or when they lost their job. What we think is important and where we hang our hats at the end of the day pale in comparison to the relationship that Christ is calling us to experience. But Jesus does his best to grip everyone's attention by saying the temple will not stand. To the first century Jewish person, the destruction of the temple would have seemed like the end of the world. It would have seemed like the end of all things, the end of all hope, as if God would have abandoned God's people. And we experience tragedy, and we experience loss, and time stands still. And we have to focus on what is important and prioritize what is worth giving thanks Jesus is not interested in spelling out a timetable so that we can live our lives and eat and drink and be merry up until that certain point. Not so that we can tow the line in the sand, but Jesus wants to get our attention so that we will not be led astray by those clamoring for our attention or wasting our brain space or our emotional space and worrying about that which we cannot 
control. So don't be alarmed, Jesus says, when you hear about wars and earthquakes and famines, for these things will happen again and again. Don't be alarmed, he tells them, because terrible things will indeed occur, but it is not yet the end. That's not Jesus being the kind of person who shrugs everything off and say, hey, stuff happens. But Jesus is saying that these terrible events, these brutal wars and famines, and even the destruction of the most sacred thing that his hearers could imagine is not the end, but as in verse 8 it says, is the beginning of the birth pangs. Or to use the term more familiar in ordinary speech, the beginning of labor pains. So what does that mean? That God is giving birth in the midst of chaos, in the midst of anxiety, in the beginning of labor. It's not that it is the end. It's that God expects more from us. God is expecting more from us. God is going to bring about a new world and a new birth and a new life. And as we stand on the precipice of Advent and Christmas with one foot in the already of Thanksgiving and the stores and supermarkets in the already of Christmas, God is giving us something new. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, for a long time I have held my peace, I have kept still and restrained myself And now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. Birth is violent. It is dangerous. And it is a painful process. Will Willimon tells a story of a mission trip to Honduras. Where a group of 20 were working within a couple weeks in the impoverished village of San Marco. Running a makeshift health clinic. And each night he and the students would build a fire and sit with villagers singing. And one night, one of the students had the bright idea to go around and share what their favorite Bible verse was. Now, that's always a threat to us Methodists who don't really study the Bible. We default to those easy verses, Jesus wept or God so loved the world, the Lord is my shepherd. But a Honduran woman said through an interpreter that her favorite verse was from Mark 13, the one we read this morning, not one stone left on stone, earthquakes, famine, and fire. And the woman said, this passage has always been such a comfort to me. Comfort? This is Jesus on a bad day getting ready to die. A comfort? The nurse says, I was talking with that woman earlier. She's given birth five times, and three of her children have died due to malnutrition. When Jesus says to me, to me, my well-housed, my well-stocked refrigerator, my well-futured, reasonably safe, secure, cared-for self, God's going to dismantle all this. God didn't create the present order. God has no stake in the preservation of your status quo. I hear this as bad news. But this woman, who'd lived through the labor pangs, who has been to hell and back, hears Jesus' talk of the end as disruption 
and good news. And that is new life, and that is new birth, and that is the hope that we carry with us. When all else seems lost, when all else seems like it's worth despair, Jesus goes up to the cross and bears it for us. Jesus says, don't be alarmed, not so that we will shrug off our life and not so that we will neglect the injustices of the world. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed because what we do not understand is within God's knowledge. And within God's knowledge is the power to heal and to transform and redeem. The terrible things at the very beginning are that, the beginning. And Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection will be the means by which God's new world will be reborn. In the meantime, in that in-between time, as Mark tells us again and again, we are to watch, we are to prepare, we are to get ready. And that's what the gospel calls us to do, to wait. Not as a passive spectator, but as someone who is on the lookout who's not lulled to sleep. Don't give up hope. Don't stop looking for God. Because God's going to make things right. Even the world, when it suffers its labor pains, means that the hoped-for birth cannot be far away. So even though it may seem like the end, it's not. There is a better day. One of my least favorite Thanksgiving traditions, least favorite, it's important to know the context, is olives and bread and butter pickles. I don't like olives, and I don't like bread and butter pickles, but it's a Thanksgiving tradition. When Leslie and I were 23, five months married and celebrating our first Thanksgiving alone in a 600-square-foot apartment in Raleigh, North Carolina, she put together an olive tray and a bread and butter pickle tray. Now, I thought we'd established some at least basic understandings in our relationship at this point. But on that first Thanksgiving for us as a married couple, when we were lonely and sad and missing family for the first time in our lives, we had a tray of olives and bread and butter pickles, not because we wanted them, but because that was what made Thanksgiving. It's not the temple that's destroyed. It's not our faith that's destroyed. It's not our church that's destroyed. It's that God is building something new. I ate olives and I ate bread and butter pickles. And we celebrated Thanksgiving because it was not about what we ate. It was about the love that we shared. As followers of Christ, it's not about the temple being destroyed. It's not about the wars and rumors of wars and famines and plagues and earthquakes. It is about the love that we share through Jesus Christ. It is about the opportunity to imagine, to reimagine God's world as God sees it. It may seem like the end, but it is only the beginning. May God work in us and through us the labor pangs of new life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you find yourself at home or traveling this Thanksgiving holiday, make note of that which God has so graciously given us. I am thankful for your presence with us today. I'm thankful for this church. 
for the ministry that takes place, for the choir, for Woody being back with us, for all who give their time and talents and efforts to make this place a place where people can come and receive the grace of God. Rejoice, give thanks, take heart, for God is with us. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our arms. And may the love of God, the peace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.